forgot to put my ears on. So for folks at home who are live streaming, uh, some people even texted me from out of state. They're, out, they're traveling, and uh, they said to say hello from out of state. So hello. Glad you're watching this morning. I know live streaming can be such a formal thing. I don't know. I love formal worship, but I'm not really into being overly formal in formal worship, so I like to greet everybody. Um, uh, Dennis Brandt says to say hello. Um, he did ask me to give him props in the morning service on TV, so Dennis, good to see you. <laughs> Anyways, Dennis is healing well since his open heart, and uh, we live on the same street, so he's uh, doing laps on our street and uh, doing super, and uh, Sandy's home with him, I believe, today, uh, taking care of him. Uh, others as well, uh, you folks know, we know who you are, and we're glad that you're joining us, whether locally or from out of state today. So for those of you who are guests, we try to go through like one book a year. We'll be wrapping up this particular book. If you need a Bible, our ushers have those to follow along. Again, I hate to have you raise your hand again, but if you forgot a Bible at home and maybe you don't have it on a device, uh, we'd be glad to give one to you. If you slip up your hand, they'll find you and give you a Bible. Ecclesiastes, uh, this is a part of the Bible that's known as wisdom literature, right? So there's history and uh, there's prophecy there's gospels, there's letters, different parts of the Bible. This is what's known as wisdom literature. Uh, so it's about how to live wisely. The overall theme of this particular wisdom book is how to live life on purpose. When you become part of the family of God, he wants you to use his wisdom to know how to live life with purpose. And for us, that's living life with eternal purpose. What eternal matter does my life have? How do I count for Christ while I have these few short decades on this earth to enjoy? How do I live for God's eternal purposes? Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 6 and 7, skinny it down for us even a little bit more, and it teaches us how to live life on purpose regarding money and then regarding the character of man. So we spent a few weeks in relationship to wisdom, in relationship to finances. Uh, we're done with that. And we started the last time we were together, uh, the last two times we were together discussing the character of man. Right? Uh, so let's continue on there this morning and discuss uh, a couple final things here in relationship to the character of man. Now, you know that we divided up uh, the second half of chapter 7 into three different sections. So if you take notes, you'll remember those sections began with a particular verse, all right? And that verse was verse 15, and we divided verses 15 to 29 up into three separate sections. The last couple times we were together, we said that first section, which was pretty much verses 15 to 18, there's a bold determination that wisdom makes. A bold determination. And that bold determination, you can go back and listen to or watch on our website. You can watch those um, video recordings of our service or listen to the audio recordings um, and review what that bold determination was. It was in relationship to man's righteousness and man's wickedness. What would wisdom, how would wisdom have us view both righteousness and wickedness. Now this morning, 
we're going to begin to look at the final two sections of three in verses 15 to 29. The second section is simply this. There's a balanced assessment, right? So wisdom makes a bold determination, and wisdom also gives us a balanced assessment here. And remember, it's particular in relationship to the character of man. The character of man. And we're going to see that balanced assessment mentioned here in verses 19 to 22 and verse 29. Again, I review this detail because there are quite a few folks who take notes on their devices or on paper, and I like to keep the outlines as clear as we possibly can. Then verses 23 to 28, we're going to conclude with some benign or gentle reminders in relationship to the character of man. Some benign reminders. A synonym for gentle is benign. Okay? So, what's this balanced assessment? How does God want, want each of us? We draw the circle around ourselves. When we go out into this world and we look at man in general, what's this balanced assessment that he wants us to remember? I would say it this way before we read the verses. I would say that wisdom would want us to caution ourselves regarding having unrealistic expectations of God's image bearers. In other words, don't hope for too much from sinners. Don't hope for too much from sinners. How many people in this world are sinners? All of us, right? <laughs> so, so all have sinned, right? Romans 3.23, and come short. They've fallen short of the glory of God. And so that's what Solomon's going to say here. Now remember, Solomon had a time in his life when he walked with God. He's got a time in his life when he's walked away from God. And now he's walking with God, and God gives him this uh, wisdom to write. And so he's got a significant time in his life when he has walked with God's people, and he's walked away from God's people, and he comes to the same assessment. Whether people are in Christ, whether they know God or whether they don't, and they're still his image bearers, don't expect too much from sinners. In other words, let wisdom help you not get too defeated by how man fails you. Can Christians fail each other? Yes, right? Can people who don't know Jesus fail you? Yes, well, let's not be shocked by that. Let's not be shocked by that. This is a balanced assessment. Let's read these verses together, beginning in verse 19. Wisdom strengthens a wise man more than 10 rulers who are in a city. Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. Oh, there's a fresh reminder, right? That's nice. Verse 21, also do not take seriously all words which are spoken so that you will not hear your servant crushing you or cursing you. For you also have realized that you likewise have many times cursed others. Got on to verse 29. 
kind of reiterates the same point here. Behold, I have found only this, that God made men upright, right? But they, men, have sought out their own devices. Romans chapter 5 teaches us that there's none righteous, none who are perfect, not even one. So I think if we've been in the Lord and you know the Bible for any certain amount of time, I think we all would agree with that. Where the world thinks that people do know God when they don't know God in Jesus, they say this, what they don't know is what they don't know. Every man's created in God's image, so every man has value. Every man's created in God's image, so every man can still do some quality things because they're made in, in that image. What Solomon is saying here, all image bearers are sinners, even though they can still do good things. Even though they can still do good things. When Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What's he saying? That sounds certainly opposite of what we're saying here from Ecclesiastes and Romans and so forth. And the Lord Jesus is saying that. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is God in human flesh, and so what he's saying is, be like me. Well, how can I be perfect? And he says, you can't. The only way that God would consider you perfect is if you have perfection in you that's not your own. So when he says, be perfect, he's saying, you need to receive me because I'm perfect. So Jesus knew what alien perfection was, if you will. It's a, it's a perfection you don't have because we're all sinners, but he is that perfection, so we turn from our sin and we place ourselves in his perfection. We need an alien righteousness, right? So that when God looks at you, he no longer sees sinners, but he sees his son. And so God's okay with you because he's okay with his son, But in the meantime, wisdom would teach us to live with a balanced assessment. There's three things here I'd like you to consider in relationship to this assessment this morning. First of all, wisdom helps us overcome challenges. And these challenges are presented to us by fallen people to remain within our context. Wisdom helps us overcome various challenges. Secondly, in this balanced assessment, wisdom also helps. It helps you avoid unrealistic expectations from others in general. We'll discuss that in more specific. And finally, wisdom helps keeps others from derailing your own personal walk with God. Wisdom helps you avoid letting others derail your walk with God. So, verse 19, wisdom helps us overcome challenges. Wisdom strengthens a wise man, the verse says, more than 10 rulers who are in a city. I've been in a lot of city council meetings with Mentor for various reasons, building projects, city issues, and so forth. And it all, I, always, I always walk away from those meetings with the city council amazed at all the issues that they have to hear. 
and all the wisdom that they need to have to make decisions that affect not only the person speaking, but the community in general. And there's obviously more than one on that council. And generally, our city council does a tremendous job with all that they have to handle, but there's a panel of councilmen. And they're good. They're all image bearers, right? And we pray for them, 1 Timothy 2, that they would, you know, right? Judge a righteous judgment, that they would be wise so that we can live a quiet and peaceable life, the Bible says. So we pray for those councilmen often, as well as other leaders. But what does this text say? You know, there, there's, there, there's, a, there's still, among all those wise councilmen, there's still a finite reality to all they know and all they can advise. But wisdom is of infinite value. So wisdom does help us overcome much more than just civil problems. It helps us overcome personal problems, and infinitely so. It says here, wisdom strengthens a wise man. More than 10 rulers who are in a city. Certainly these rulers are expected to prioritize the people's needs while promoting common welfare. And I think ours does that pretty well. But even if we have 10 good solid leaders for whom we pray, wisdom for the Christian life is still a greater advisor. It's a greater advisor in helping us carry our daily spiritual loads and helping carry our collective church loads. There always remains for us personal challenges that are often, quite frankly, more serious in nature than even what city officials would ever address. City officials are asked to deal with civil issues, which can include zoning issues and maybe a few potential criminal issues. But city officials are incapable of advising you on personal issues. But wisdom is a personal advisor, the wisdom of God. The knowledge that we gain from Scripture and then we pray for wisdom that God would give us hands and feet on how to live this book. That's our personal, our infinite personal help by the grace of God from heaven. City officials can't can't help you handle your recent cancer diagnosis. City officials can't help you personally overcome a current financial crisis in your life. City officials can't help you lose weight. They can provide places where you can go lose weight, but they can't personally advise you to go and how. They can provide more parks to walk in, but they're not there to walk by your side to hold you accountable to exercise. Wisdom really is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Wisdom is Jesus Christ. We know by the Bible teaches us that. 
And so if we are to know wisdom, we've got to know him. And then wisdom is his word put to hands and feet. And it's limitless in its ability to personally advise us. I would write here in the margin of my Bible, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Because God's divine nature, when we know the Lord Jesus Christ, he grants us all things pertaining to life and godliness. The Bible is sufficient. We certainly have a sufficient Savior who is wisdom. We have a sufficient Scripture that is wisdom preserved for us. And we also have a sufficient Spirit that indwells us, right? that reminds our, remains our divine advocate and tutor. And Jesus says, when I go away, I'm going to send someone else just like me. That's the Holy Spirit. And he will what? He will teach you all things. We have an indwelling presence of God himself who helps us take the word of God and make it applicable to our lives. And then he's given us a sufficient structure right here in our own church. We're saints Help us live the word of God. Where none of us have to go this alone. And we shouldn't be. You've heard us say that many times. So wisdom helps us overcome challenge. Personal challenge. And again, wisdom helps us avoid unrealistic expectations of others in general, whether saved or unsaved. We all hear cliches like, no one's perfect or no church is perfect right? I'm often amazed when I hear those statements because those statements are usually cliche statements that are made when people are trying to get an excuse not to go to church or not to be a Christian when actually they're true. (laughs) They're true. No one's perfect. Having certain expectations of others in general I think is okay though, right? We should have biblical expectations of image bearers who don't need don't have Jesus I think the Bible speaks to that and we should have certain expectations of those who do know Jesus the Bible speaks to those matters of character but when we understand they're all broken that helps us not have unrealistic expectations of those people Solomon simply trying to remind us that this is a reality that all of us endure through every day of the week. And we need to be reminded of this often. Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins, even your spouse, even your girlfriend or boyfriend, even your boss. You're going to say, I put him first. Right? I know he never does good. Right? Your neighbor. There is not a person who continually does good. And so, in our relationships as believers, with a believing spouse or a believing child or maybe even a believing boss or a believing neighbor or a believing church member, we certainly walk through life with this balanced understanding that they are image bearers so they will always have value in Christ they have infinite value and even though they're in Christ and they'll have infinite enduring value 
They're only perfect in him and still flawed themselves. So when God's people fail me here or I fail you here, the first place that we go is what? Well, you're perfect in Christ. I have value in you because you have Christ. That's where I go first. And that reality compels me, right? It thrusts me, if you will, to discipline my mind to treat you with that reality that I would treat you as I would treat Christ. And then we have biblical guidelines on how to help us endure through the way we may have hurt each other or offended each other. But I don't seek to have unrealistic expectations of you, and I don't think you do of me. And I don't think we should of one another, even in our homes. So I have the expectation that you're going to grow in Christ's likeness, but I also have the expectation that you're going to make mistakes. Does that make sense? Because we all do. That's the glorious agony of the Christian life. By God's grace, we're always growing towards greater Christ-likeness once we know him, but even in that process, we still make mistakes. Let's stay balanced. And even those in your world that don't know Jesus, that are God's image bearers, it would, it would be good for all of us to make sure that we find the value in any image bearer long before we find the vice. Even with people in your life and in your environment and in your world. Are you with me? Those of you that like to trash on politicians and disobey Titus 3, 1 through 3. Those of you that have forgotten what you were before you were born again. Don't treat even any authority with unrealistic expectations. Find the value as image bearers long before you find the vice. Now, that's unsaved people. As believers, it ought to be like a hot knife through butter if you're around any saint that would call themselves a saint because they've been in Jesus Christ, they've been transformed, how much easier should it be for us to find the value before we find the vice? So much more, right? I think this is something we need to wrestle our minds to. Thirdly, in relationship to this balance assessment, let wisdom aid you and help you from letting others derail your own walk with God. What does it say here in verses 21 to 22? Also, do not take seriously all the words which are spoken so that you will not hear your servant cursing you. Why? Well, because remember, you've cursed a few in your time. Verse 22. For you also have realized that you likewise have many times cursed others. Wisdom here helps us remain consistent in our walk regardless what others may say, and hang on here, may even believe to be true about you that's not true. This is huge for me. 
because I am such a wimp. I am such, I am such a softy when it comes. Just ask anyone that I work with. Pastor Kent's shaking his head. Yeah. Right? I am such a loser, if you will, when it comes to being derailed by what other people think about me or what they believe to be true about me. Maybe some of you are like that. You just want everyone to get along. You want everyone to like you because you like everybody, right? You don't, you don't want to, why? Why would they, they don't even know me. How could they even say that about me? They don't believe, what? They haven't talked to me in five years. And they said, what about me? Right? Someone said that I don't like In-N-Out Burger? They don't even know me, right? How in the world could they say such a devastating fact? They don't even know me. They don't even talk to me. They never even eat with me. Pastor Tim says he doesn't like In-N-Out Burger. <laughs> whatever, whatever the issue, right? It is possible that we can allow what others think about us to discourage us away from walking with God. And Solomon saying in his wisdom... <laughs> Eh, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. It's not a good time. It's not a good thing when you let what others say about you or think about you derail you from your walk with God. Because guess what? You're not gonna stand before God with that person or any other person. It's gonna be you and him. Amen. Right? And so what are you in Jesus Christ? Perfect. In your balanced assessment of your own walk with him, are you or are you not walking with him, right? It's like that simple. Spurgeon said in his lectures to my students, he was an English the prince of preachers from London, England. Many of you have heard of him, maybe some of you have not. He said, when it comes to the unkind words of others about you, have one blind eye and one deaf ear. You cannot stop people's tongues and therefore the best thing to do is to stop your own ears and never mind what is spoken. There is a world of idle chit-chat, he says, abroad. And he who takes note of it will have enough to do. In other words, it'll create a life of its own for you. So be careful. And while we're always humbly remembering, verse 22, right? None of us are perfect in that old never cursing somebody else. I have here cross-referenced Colossians 3, verse 11, 12, and 13, Ephesians 4, Colossians 4, and so forth and so on. Some New Testament texts in relationship to making sure that we are not derailed and we don't let somebody else derail our walk. A couple benign reminders from verses 23 to 28, and we'll wrap up this morning, Okay. Wisdom has a couple benign reminders for us. And I'd like to give you those two gentle reminders as we conclude this morning. Number one, knowing a lot is easy. Finding one person who lives with wisdom is hard. Knowing a lot is easy. Finding someone who lives with wisdom is rare. And secondly, wisdom will forever remain a discerner between good and evil. 
not knowledge. Wisdom will forever remain a discerner between good and evil. Knowledge can't do that by itself. And we'll explain. We know, as we've already seen in our study of Ecclesiastes, the same writer of Ecclesiastes said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It doesn't say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You say, well, I know what Paul said in Philippians chapter one, that love, give, love grows into knowledge and knowledge discernment and discernment excellence. Certainly there is a flow there, right? But wisdom is the taking of Bible knowledge and giving it hands and feet and that comes with help from God and from his word and from other indwelling saints to know how to live life and live life properly. It's easy in our culture to find people who know a lot. And if you want to compare my undergraduate college scores and my master's degree college scores and my post-master's degree college scores, I guarantee you, for anyone that has a graduate degree, an undergraduate degree or a graduate degree, that the majority of you are going to have scores that are higher than mine. I was a blue-collar student. Nothing came easy. <laughs> Nothing. Some of you are brothers and sisters in that way, Right? I've shared with you over the years my agonies of a blue-collar student. If you're going to set my brain and what it knows next to your brain and what it knows, I am confident you'll find me behind you. Confident. Right? Just ask my wife. Right? My brain is light years behind her brain and what it knows. I don't even know if you young kids even know what Pictionary is or or, or what was that one? Is it Pictionary? The knowledge thing or whatever? What was that? Trivial Pursuit. Where's my Pictionary? <laughs> See, I told you I'm behind. I'm way behind. Right, Trivial Pursuit, right? Like, if I played that with my wife while we were dating, like 33 years ago, you ever played Trivial Pursuit with someone that's giving the answer to the question before the question's finished? You know how defeating that is? Well, you need to hear the whole thing, and then you have to take five minutes to meditate, right? And go through your Rolodex in your brain very, very slowly, right? Wow. There's a lot of people who know a lot. And quite frankly, it's all based on their own DNA. Your ability to obtain and retain knowledge is, is really primarily a DNA thing. I am my parents' child. Right? My children are a combination of me and Rhonda. Two of them are me, two of them are Rhonda. And it's abundantly clear when the grades come in, who's who, right? This is not rocket science. That is a DNA thing. So knowledge is good. Finding people with knowledge is easy in various degrees. What's Solomon saying here? Let's read the text. Finding people with wisdom, not so much. 
He says here in verse 23, I tested all this with wisdom and I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. What has been is remote and exceedingly mysterious. Who can discover it? I directed my mind to know, to investigate, and to seek wisdom and explanation, and to know the evil and folly of the foolishness of madness. We'll get to that in a second. And I discovered more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with the Bible, you're going to see the female gender used here twice. And I want to let you know that wisdom is referred to as a female in gender in the, New Test in the Old Testament. Okay? And so is folly. Okay? So is folly. So kind of keep that in mind for this first section here. One who is pleasing to God will escape from her. That's folly. But the sinner will be captured by her. Behold, I have discovered this, says the preacher. This is, again, his synonymous. He's calling out himself here. Says himself. Adding one thing to another to find an explanation, which I am still seeking but have not found. I have found one man among a thousand. I have not found a woman among all these. In other words, I haven't found among folly. A woman would represent folly here. I don't find wisdom in folly. And, and quite frankly, I have found what? I'm still seeking, and I've not found. But I have found one among a thousand. Now, I wouldn't say in wisdom literature that this is a literal interpretation. It doesn't mean that there's only going to be one wise person per thousand people. It's not what it's saying. He's just basically saying here it's rare. Finding people that have a lot of knowledge that live foolishly in folly, that's easy. Finding someone that actually knows God, walks with him, and lives his word, that's rare. That's rare. And so this is a gentle reminder. Why wrap up with this? Well, just to encourage you that by God's grace, maybe you can be that one in a thousand. Or maybe we should be. Be that wise one. Right? We were traveling the Swiss Alps on our honeymoon. We went Dutch on our honeymoon. And uh, I was going to take I was old school, so I was always trained, the dude pays for the whole honeymoon, right? And so I was planning on my very limited painting, pay my own way through school budget, where I was gonna go. And so Rhonda called, we were distance dating for the last two years of our relationship, and she called and she said, hey, let's talk honeymoon, and, and I'd like to go to Europe. So I was, that, that was a little wrestling in my mind. It's like trying to think about, I got to quit school to go get some more painting jobs to pay for this. And uh, she, said, she said, Tim, listen. She said, I don't think there's anything wrong if we go Dutch. I said, let me think about that for a little bit because I was more old school. Um, so I came back a week later after praying about it and I said, okay, let's go. How about you pay for the whole thing? <laughs> <laughs> no, 
I acquiesced and I was like, we went Dutch. And because we went Dutch, she was out of school, was able to work. I was in school and had to work to pay for school. Anyways, I had a summer once I graduated from my graduate degree to make money for my Dutch part of the honeymoon. And she had made her Dutch part of the honeymoon. And we went to the Swiss Alps and we were traveling up the Swiss Alps. And it was really, really interesting. The higher we got going up, the fewer cars there were <laughs> and the less people. But boy, the landscape was gorgeous. It was peaceful. It was quiet. It was pristine. And as far as your eye could see, it was just the beauty of God, right? I thought about that in relationship to one in a thousand. There's going to be very, very few people who are going to travel those high wisdom roads with you. Right? But it's worth it. And in that time you'll know that you've been fearing God and walking with him, and that's, that's great. And the final thing he says here really is, wisdom will forever remain a discerner between good and evil for you. We read those verses, verses 25 and 26, twice already this morning. And we know that there's biblical record of those who chose to go the unwise route and because they chose to go the unwise route, they were unable to discern between good and evil. I think Rehoboam did that in the Old Testament when he decided to go with the counsel of the younger men in the kingdom rather than the older men in the kingdom, and he lost the kingdom because of it. I think the writer of Hebrews kind of talks about this a little bit in, in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. There's those that could not discern between good and evil because they did not have the wisdom to do so. And the reason they did not have the wisdom to do so is because they weren't growing in their Christian walk, right? They were still on milk when they should have been on meat. They should have been teachers of the word, and yet they were still infants in the word. And verse number 18 says, well, if you're going to go with the flow... With the majority, you're, you're really not going to be able to discern between good and evil because you don't have wisdom. And you don't have wisdom because you don't have Bible knowledge. Wisdom will forever remain the discerner between good and evil. Folly doesn't do that in the text. Wisdom does that. It's very, very clear here. In verse 25, I directed my mind to know and to investigate and to seek wisdom. I did that. And then he says, going on to verse 26, one who is pleasing to God will escape from folly, from foolishness. It may be rare, but you'll be that one again in a thousand. just meditating on this passage over and over and over again this week and I just wrote down this statement for myself this is a personal devotional statement really to summarize these benign understandings these gentle reminders the fear of God compels our hearts by the grace of God to be governed by God that was just for me the fear of the Lord's beginning of wisdom that compels our hearts by the grace of God, not of my own strength. Source, help from another source, help from heaven, the grace of God to be what? To be governed by God in his wisdom. So, 
When I wanted something really, really bad in my life that my dad, when I was growing up in his home, thought that I should not have or I was not ready to have, he said, Tim, sometimes you can't have your cake and what? And eat it too. Well, I didn't necessarily like to hear that when I was a kid. And he didn't always have the time to stop and qualify as to why he made that statement. He just knew me, and he knew what I was and was not ready for. And it was wisdom for me. And folks, I'll be honest, I needed that voice of wisdom from my dad in my life. And I need the voice of wisdom from God in my life and His Word in my life. And I need the voice of wisdom from you in my life. And as a pastor, I need to surrender my heart to that voice of wisdom from you. And so weekly, I sit down and I pray with and I speak to people wiser than I that have more knowledge than me. And I ask them to shepherd my heart and to help me. From this text, I guess I'm finding out that if we participate in that together, I guess we're pretty rare. I guess we're pretty rare. But the text says, pleasing to God. Pleasing to God. Now I know we're positionally pleasing to God. We'll forever be pleasing to God in Jesus. This is not a performance statement. (laughs) It's the antithesis of it. Since we are perfectly pleasing to God, then we will be practically pleasing to God. And we do it through wisdom, the wisdom of God. You know, I'll just say this too, um, and this is just my own personal devoting of myself to this text. This is just what I'm, what's going through my mind as I'm studying this text. So I just wrote it for me, and it may mean nothing to you, and but I put, even put it here in the first person. I said, I feel sometimes that my own heart has a tendency to give itself license to sin because of what I know to be true about salvation and the Bible. And then I wrote here for myself, Tim, that's a very ominous place for you to, to put yourself. Wisdom drives us far from tampering with darker thoughts and actions and thrusts us towards being governed by God and living and serving Him with others. That was just for me. But I think that's the high road that wisdom takes. Okay? It's a simple, gentle reminder. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank You that wisdom has helped us discern the character of man. And we thank you for the bold assessment that she makes here for us. We thank you, Lord, for the balanced assessment. We thank you, Lord, for these benign, gentle reminders. Help us to take the truth, the principal truths from this wisdom on the character of man and and personally apply it to our own hearts and lives. And Lord, as we close, I, I pray that everyone here would be reminded of not having unrealistic expectations, particularly, Lord, in relationship to understanding that there's none who does righteous, no, not one. I I pray, Lord, that if there be anyone here today that 
may know a lot about Jesus, maybe from their past, but they don't know him personally and they've never had him be Lord of their lives and turn their lives over to him and had a changed life through him, that they would understand that they are counted among the number of lost ones because there's none that does righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I pray, Lord, that maybe today would be used by your Spirit to help them understand how much you love them in Jesus and all that he's done for them by dying their death and that they would, by the Spirit's help, find their way to him today. That their sin that placed Jesus on the cross would be replaced with the righteousness of him who died on the cross for them. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.